This is another edition of the SNS show here on Spotify or Instagram Live. I'm so saying this is the SNS show here on Com Radio, but now this is the SNS show here on Spotify and Instagram Live. Big thank you once again, everybody who tuned in on either platform. I'm Jake Starr, directly below me, my co-host Preston Shoemaker, and we got a fun show to bring you tonight and a lot to talk about. And I think kind of just NFL draft was this past weekend. We had our reactions both Friday and Saturday, Thursday and Friday night, excuse me. And obviously a lot of just, a lot of heat of the moment, knee-jerk reactions. I think now we've taken some time to sit back, really evaluate what the Eagles and Steelers respectively have done. And I feel like we'll have more of a measured approach tonight. And I think I'm looking forward to just breaking it all down. So uh, Preston, we'll start with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think we talked about the you know, second round pick was a really solid pick. They had a, a solid draft, a light draft. Only six guys. Uh, you know, you've had some time to digest, had some time to kind of, you know, take some stuff in. How are you feeling a couple of days removed from the draft? Yeah, Jake, I mean, you said it. A, a light draft is kind of what it was. You only have six picks. It's hard to recreate the entire team. Luckily, the Steelers, we talked about it, weren't really in a position where they needed to. And, you know, I, I look at this draft, and I've been looking at what other analysts have been saying about the draft. And, you know, some people kind of recognize that, that six picks isn't enough to really make it big. Other guys are trashing some of these picks. I personally... I'm really happy with every pick that they made. I think they followed a scheme that really fit well for them. I know we talked about the Claypool and the Highsmith picks on Saturday, uh, Friday night, I guess that was, on Friday night. But, you know, they came out in that, I'm going to get rid of my gum because it's driving me nuts here. So, pardon me. But, they came out in that third day on Saturday. I really liked what they did there as well. I've got, I'm looking here, I'm looking at the guys, and I want to just kind of go in chronological order. I will tell you at some point I want to rank my six guys, kind of do that live. I know we want to get that kind of stuff out there. So I want to go chronologically, though. So in that fourth round, they come up. I'm sitting there watching the TV expecting probably offensive line. You know, I didn't think the Steelers were really going to pull the trigger on the running back in the draft that early. I, I wanted them to. Didn't think it was going to happen. Then you see McFarland's name come up, and, you know, I, I thought it was a good pick. There were people that were kind of bashing it. Look, it's not going to hurt the running back room to put a little more versatility in there. It's it's going to complement Connor a little bit. Very similar to what Benny Snell was last year with the Steelers, that same fourth round running back pick and you know I don't think the Steelers necessarily thought they were going to be drafting running backs back to back years but I like what they did there with them and I think you look at a guy he's got big 10 potential he's got speed he's got good tape he's not perfect he's not going to be the starting running back but if you can kind of help that running back room a little bit put a little more depth in there to a room that dealt with some injuries last year Take a little bit of the load off of Connor. You can put McFarland Jr. out there, let him run a little bit. Same thing with Jalen Samuels, and you still have Benny Snell. I don't know if they intend on putting all four of these guys on the roster, which I think is dangerous for Benny Snell because you don't draft McFarland and then send him to the practice squad. But I think it's not uncharacteristic to see all four of these guys make the depth chart come time here in the fall. And I think you can really see a little bit of a running back by committee and Jake, I, I want to kind of bounce back and forth with you here. I don't want to just talk for 15 minutes, but I, what were you thinking kind of when the Steelers went after that running back with McFarlane? I, I, something I had mentioned it before, and I had said if the Steelers go wide receiver in that first pick in the second round, they can make up for it on the back end with some running backs like Anthony McFarlane Jr. that could fall later, and that's exactly what they did, and I think it can benefit them. 
No, I agree. And McFarland's an interesting pick, just looking at the running back room they have there in Pittsburgh, obviously. You got James Conner, you got Benny Snell, but I don't think that... I don't think there's a ton of confidence that there's a guy, per se, in Pittsburgh. I think Anthony McFarland, you know, just take a look at him. He's a guy, only a redshirt sophomore, so only played two full years in college. A smaller running back, 5'8", 208. Uh, but he's fast, run a 4'4", 4'40", and I think that's something that the Steelers really like. They got a guy who's fast, they got a guy who's big and strong, and a guy who can be a bruiser, and, you know, can kind of work between the tackles. He can go outside, make some moves on the outside. You know, it's dealt with some injury issues over the years, but I think, look, I see no issue of taking him with a fourth-round pick. I think the Steelers wanted to get a running back at some point. They got him in the fourth round, and only, what's it look like, one of only two skill position players they took. Steelers actually didn't realize this till right now. Only had one pick in the top 100, and that was Chase Claypool, who I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit, but I, I love that pick so much, that Chase Claypool pick. But, no, it's going to be interesting seeing what happens with with Connor, with Snell, what they have in that running back room. But I think McFarlane has a chance to come in, you know, on, I don't want to say day one and make an impact, but I think within his first year, I think he's going to, you know, do really well. And I look at, I'm looking at uh, CBS Sports right now, Pittsburgh Steelers draft picks in the grades. Now they're giving that pick an A. So there's a lot of confidence from the experts. Obviously, it's too early to tell. We won't know, you know, what's going to happen, what the heck's this offseason going to consist of. But I think it's on the surface. It's a solid pick for a, a light but solid draft class for the Steelers. Yeah, and, and look, I, I know we'll, I'll be given a grade here in a little bit for this draft. I think draft grades are one of the funniest things because they mean nothing. And, you know, you look back and you see, oh, Deshaun Watson got like a D draft grade by some analyst, but then Taco Taco Charlton for Dallas got an A one year. You almost said Taco Fall. I wanted to say Taco Fall. Too many tacos going on in my mind. Taco, Taco Tuesday. Taco, Char, Taco Tuesday. There you go. But but look, I, I want to get back to the Steelers here. And, and honestly, one of my maybe one of my favorite picks, and every one of the picks that the Steelers made, I was really enjoying just the fact that each guy brought in their own type of character and skill set to the team. I, I really think each guy is unique. There wasn't one of those picks that's like, oh, yeah, I mean, it's the seventh round. They're going after these guys. But – this next pick, they come back in that fourth round a little bit later, and they get Kevin Dotson, this guard out of Louisiana Lafayette. And this is a guy that got snubbed. He did not get an invite to the combine, and shockingly, because he he's 6'4", he's 3'10", he's got good hands. He's this big, physical offensive lineman that a lot of scouts saw had this kind of raw talent. And I think when you look at that talent, it's going to transfer over into the NFL. You can't really teach size. I, I, there's workout regimens, there's stuff, there's a few things you can't really teach. It's size, it's speed, stuff like that. He's massive, and he's really strength, he's really strong. You saw the video, I don't know if you saw it. He's pulling a truck backpedaling. It's not just your typical pushing a car. No, he's pulling a car, backpedaling with those legs. Huge guy, and I think he really got some exposure because of the guy who he's playing next to, and that was Robert Hunt. Robert Hunt got drafted, I, I think that was the third, maybe the fourth round, I don't remember, but a tackle out of Louisiana Lafayette who was pretty highly sought after. And when you watch the film and you're watching Robert Hunt, you're also going to see Kevin Dotson. And I think he really benefited from being able to play next to a guy who was an NFL top prospect because if not he might have been overlooked entirely just because he was not invited to the combine he kind of slipped down on some of the radars but I think the Steelers got great value for him in the fourth round a guy that I thought could have gone earlier I think he's really going to come over well into the NFL I mean he's got great grip strength he's got size and look he's not going to start this year so he's got 
time to come in and sit down behind some offensive guards, between behind some experienced offensive linemen. I mean, Pouncey's not a guard, but he's been in the league a long time. He's been an all-pro. He's a Pro Bowl player. You got Wisniewski's a Super Bowl champion, and he's up there in age. It's a great pick, I thought, for the Steelers, who needed to address the offensive line at some point. I was looking for a center in this draft, and I didn't do it because Pouncey needs to be replaced, but I think that can come in the future. It can also come in free agency. I really liked what they did with Dotson because it had depth and really bolsters the back half of that offensive line into the future as they try to build younger with an older offensive line that's still one of the better ones in the league, I think. And I want to touch on these last two picks real quick. I don't want to go too long, but Antoine Brooks Jr. out of Maryland. You know, you go out and you get a guy in the sixth round, no fifth-round pick. They still come in back in the sixth round, draft a guy out of the Big Ten who is an all-Big all Ten on, um, honorable mention. He's a guy that can play. He's a guy that led his team in tackles as a safety. He is a three-year starter, I believe I read somewhere. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I don't want to be talking fake news here. I don't support the fake news agenda as a journalist. But I think, you know, you look at Antoine Brooks and you look at the value he brings in the sixth round, a guy who's a three-year starter, led his team in tackles and was an honorable mention for an all-conference. I'll take that kind of value in the sixth round of a draft. And even if you look in the seventh round, back to the Big Ten again, Carlos Davis, defensive tackle up front. And I did pull up his profile because I wanted to be able to kind of look at some of this size. 6'2", 313 pounds, 125 total tackles last year, you know, just another one of those guys that's going to fill up some depth on that defensive end. They can kind of plug guys in here and there. There wasn't a spot in this draft where the Steelers needed to draft somebody who needed to start next year 100%. So they were really at the position, and Kevin Colbert said it himself, and so did Mike Tomlin, we're going to look at what we have, we're going to look at what's on the board, we're going to kind of balance the two together, and we're going to make an educated pick at each pick that came up. And I think they did a great job of that. And if I'm ranking these guys kind of in my order of preference, I want to go back to the list of them. Uh, I go top to bottom, Claypool, Dodson, Highsmith, McFarland, Brooks Jr., Davis. And I, I like every pick. There's not one reason that I like don't like some guy and he fell a little more. It's just how much I like some of the other guys. And you mentioned how great the Claypool pick. You liked it. Some people were really against that, and with the hindsight, even on that night, Friday night, I said, I think they made the right move not going after a Dobbins, because you can get backs later. I think Claypool brings a very different skill set to this offense, and Ben Roethlisberger got my Big Ben 7 hat on, because I'm supporting my quarterback, and I think that... The Steelers were able to do that in this draft. They bring in a receiver that's going to have day one threats. You bring in McFarland Jr. who's going to get his workload. You bring in Dodson who's going to work on that offensive line. But then you also look at this defense. I think Alex Highsmith could be the best pick in this draft for the Steelers if you look into the future five years. I really think Alex Highsmith is kind of that diamond in the rough. You're not going to really see that blossom until he kind of steps up, but he's got a ceiling on him. And if he can hit that ceiling, I really think he can excel. And just, you could say that about a lot of these guys, same with Dodson, same with Claypool. I'm really happy with this Steelers draft. I really don't think that they made a selection that you can really argue about saying it was that bad. And I'm, I know some analysts seem to think, think differently, but I was pretty pleased coming into it, what they did. I know a lot of analysts haven't been high on the Alex Highsmith, uh, pick it's it's an interesting draft haul for the Steelers I think because you know for one outside of Chase Claypool I feel like they're, they're drafting for depth they're drafting for 
you know, what guys can help us two to three years down the road? I think Highsmith, you know, McFarlane, you might see get a little bit of action this year. I still think it's James Conner's job to lose. Uh, but aside from that, obviously the Kevin Dotson pick we talked about, I like that one a lot too. You said he's big. He's 6'4", 310 pounds, has some NFL lineage. Uh, you know, looking at NFL.com's draft profile right now. They're saying he's a good backup who could become a starter. It's exactly for a guy what they needed. For a guy who's coming out of a, you know, Conference USA, a smaller school in Louisiana Lafayette, you know, there's no issue with that. You're picking him in the fourth round of the draft. If he becomes a starter one day, that's a successful draft pick. Now, granted, you don't want to be like Eric Flowers when the Giants drafted him a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, but... If he's a guy, he can be a contributor and be a starter in three years from now. No issue with that. Same thing with Alex Highsmith. Obviously, uh, pundits aren't as high on the Highsmith pick as they are on the rest of the Steelers draft. You know, it's another small school guy. Uh, you know, so if he's a guy, obviously, as I said, contributes in a couple years. Someone you'll like to see. But this Steelers draft hall is kind of interesting. Three Big Ten guys, two from Maryland, two non-power five guys, and you got an ACC. Not ACC. ACC is basketball for Notre Dame. Independent There you team go. Independent. In Notre Dame. But I still can't get over how much I love this Chase Claypool pick, Preston. I mean, I was watching some of his highlights on Saturday. I think it might have been Sunday. Uh, just putting some stuff together for the show. And this kid, he can run. He can jump. He's just hes a heck of an athlete. Now, he only gets a B, but I think he's somebody who you're going to see make an impact right away. I'm not saying he's going to go have a 1,000 receiving yards this year. But he's a guy who's, who can make some big plays and a guy that Ben Roethlisberger, look, just throw the ball up to him and make a play. But I think, you know, six guys, I think it's a solid haul for the Steelers. Overall, I probably would give it about a, probably a solid B for my overall final grade. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you look at what he's going to bring to the field. He doesn't need to catch go for 1,000 yards and 25 touchdowns in this crazy Hall of Fame season as a rookie because the Steelers have three other receivers and a tight end, maybe two tight ends, that they already really like. You've also got running back in James Conner that can do a little bit out of the backfield, a couple of these other guys. So he doesn't have to come in and carry the workload, and I think that's going to really help him a lot because they can use him in packages, use him in sets, where he can kind of match up on that. If it's man-to-man, it's going to be that number three defender, man guy. He's not going to be the number one target. He's not going to get that top corner every single game, every single snap. So I think he can really benefit from that. He's a tight end at the wide receiver position, same size and virtually the same weight as Eric Ebron. I think it's a 10-pound difference there, so... He's a really interesting pick. He can do a lot of cool things, and I really like it. I think the biggest thing people had against that pick is that Claypool may have not been the guy in that spot. But I think you have to look at the value of wide receivers and how fast they're going in that second round. Especially you see guys like, well, Rieger went in the first round. We're going to get to that. But Rieger's already off the board. T. Higgins is off the board. Pittman Jr.'s off the board. Chenault's off the board. Hamler's off the board. All these guys are flying off the board. It's really now Claypool and Mims. Those are the two big names left before you get into that kind of next tier of receivers. I think the Steelers, I mean, there's no chance, I think, that the Steelers would have gotten Claypool in the third round. So to say, oh, well, you shouldn't have drafted him there, well, they were going to draft receiver. He's the best guy there. Arguably, because of how different he is than some of those other guys, they might have been drafting him anyway. So I think they got the guy that they wanted. I think Ben Roethlisberger's happy about it. I think you look at a team that really went out and prioritized winning now. And I think you mentioned a little bit, some of these guys, they might not contribute until down the road. I would like to think 
you know, obviously I don't think Kevin Dodson's starting this year. Antoine Brooks will be interesting because the safety position's already kind of thin for Pittsburgh. So could see some packages where he's working himself in there. But I really do think that Highsmith can make himself heard this season. I'm very high on this guy. No pun intended. Hi, Smith. Hi. I don't know. I'm, I'm all over the place. But I, I think this is a guy. The Steelers are pretty, pretty deep at that position, too. So he can work himself in there. But he was third in the FBS last year in sacks. Now, you can say all you want about small school. But you got to have skill to get past and get into that backfield. Get after quarterbacks. And this is a guy that can do it. He's got moves that are NFL ready. You look at some of the films, his hesitation moves. He can go inside. He can go outside. He can go around you. He can go right through you. There's some guys he's just throwing them to the ground and going after the quarterback. So, I know the Steelers are really high on the value that they saw in him. I'm really high on it as well. I think I think it's going to be exciting what he can do in Pittsburgh. He kind of builds up that mentality. He's been overlooked his entire life. He was under-recruited in high school. Read a great article on him from The Athletic. Under-recruited in high school. Only got the college at Charlotte because he asked a rival coach to send film to his son, who was the coach at Charlotte. It's the only way he got noticed. Ended up going there, playing a few years, leads the defense, third in the FBS in sacks last year, and now coming on to the NFL. You know, kind of always that dog mentality, and he's going to continue to work that in the defense. I'm really high on Highsmith. I love Claypool as well. I think Dodson was a great pick off that back end. Brooks Jr.'s got a lot of experience. I think it's a great draft. I think they did what they needed to do and was just make the team better overall. Now, before we move on, Preston, final grade for the Eagles – not Eagles, Steelers draft. You know, I've been bouncing around here for a while, and I, I kind of have two grades in mind, but I'll tell, I'll walk you through them. If I'm grading the Steelers on what they did with what they had, I want to give them an A-. minus. And, and the only reason it's not an A is because, yeah, they could have done better, they could have traded up, could have done something spectacular, but they didn't do anything wrong in my eyes. Now, if I'm grading the Steelers and what they did by every other team's standard, and sure, all these other teams have more picks, and they did better, and the Ravens had the best draft, I think, out of just about anybody. Now I'm putting them more realistically B+, maybe a B. So I think overall my grade for them is a B plus. I don't have any problem with what the Steelers did. I think other teams did more than what they did. So therefore, you kind of have to balance that out in general. It's, you're not just grading that team and it's alone, I think you got to look at the big picture. So I, I give the Steelers a B-plus on this draft, and it's only because other teams certainly had better drafts than them, but I didn't have any problem with anything they did. And we, you talked about the Steelers not really doing, I guess, a ton of the draft, and it's hard when you only have six picks. And obviously one of the fewer you know pick slots in the NFL draft, but now there's a team that had 10 picks in the draft, really did a lot of work this weekend, and that's the Philadelphia Eagles. And... Obviously, I've had some time to, you know, digest what happened, sit back, talk to some people. And overall, I think it was a pretty solid draft, aside from the Jalen Hurts pick. But I think we'll get to that in a little bit. Let's just talk about the Eagles made an emphasis this weekend to go out and get speed on the outside on offense. Look at the Jalen Rieger pick. Look at the John Hightower wide receiver, Boise State. Quez Watkins wide receiver, Southern Miss, traded for Marquise Goodwin, wide receiver from the San Francisco 49ers. Now, who knows if those last three picks are going to pan out? Who knows if those three even make the opening day roster? But, you know, Howie Roseman, after the Eagles lost to Seattle, wrote three things down on a piece of paper and gave it to Doug Peterson. Is he fast? Is he healthy? 
Does he love to play hell? Does he love to play football? And I think that first part, is he fast, really played a factor into what the Eagles did this weekend. I think that, I think Jalen Rieger, that pick is growing on me every single day. I think that, you know, I know I was high on Justin Jefferson. That was my, you know, number one guy. But, man, Jalen Rieger played with a crapshoot of quarterbacks in his time at TCU. Justin Jefferson played with Joe Burrow. Now, if you switch roles, if you put Jefferson at TCU and Jalen Rieger at LSU, I think Jalen Rieger probably also has 15 touchdowns last year. You know, Rieger's fast. He's a guy who's been clocked as low as a 4-2-2, around uh, a 4-4-7 at the combine, but he has real game speed. And as I said, the more I watch Jalen Rieger, the more I hear people talk about him. You know, I like to pick a lot. Obviously, the other receivers, John Hightower, another solid guy from Boise State. Quez Watkins, more of a project guy. He's the kind of guy I heard him describe him as wind blows him over. He's that skinny. He's like a 6'1", 190 type of player. Marquise Goodwin just took a flyer on a guy. Even if even if Rieger just pans out, you'll still have Jalen Rieger and Deshaun Jackson next year. You know, The Eagles set themselves up for this upcoming season a lot better than they did going into 2019. 2019, they put all their eggs in Deshaun Jackson you know, to be their deep threat. And this season, they spread their eggs out. They said, if Deshaun Jackson gets hurt, he's 34 years old, we have other guys now. And I really like that Jalen Rieger pick because it emphasizes what the Eagles want to do, and that's get faster on offense, and I like it a lot. And obviously, I'll let you, we'll talk about the receivers first, and obviously, we'll talk about Jalen Hurts a little bit, and also there's another, you know, a couple sleeper picks I want to bring up too as well. Well, yeah, and I, I think Rieger's going to grow on a lot of people, and it's not going to take long for him to grow on them because there was that initial shock of, Oh my gosh, why they take Jalen Rieger when Jefferson was available, when all these other guys, yada, 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 it's noise. And that's what it comes down to. And everybody's going to take that bait. I still think that where they took Rieger, it was clearly higher than where he was mocked. And he could have fallen. And that's where you pull this reach card out. But I think when you're looking at big picture, if you like a guy, you go get him. And that's that's what you have to do in the draft. Rieger is going to be talented. He's going to pan out well, I think, for the Eagles. He's going to be good. I, I, I was excited at the thought of the Steelers getting Rieger when he was mocked at 49. So for him to go in that first round, that's why people call it a reach. But five years from now, if he's a three-time you know, Pro Bowl receiver, are people going to be talking about, oh, he was still a reach in the draft? Not at all. So it's all in his hands now. And I think you look at what the Eagles did on that third day. They did prioritize that offense a little more. They took a lot of heat for the Hurts pick because, you know, there's guys there. You could have went out. You could have taken a Mims. You could have taken another receiver. But they got their other receivers in Hightower out of Boise State. They got Watkins. I really liked the Marquise Goodwin trade. It was really shocking to me. It kind of hit me in the face. It was like, well, there it is. Like, obviously, they were going to help out Carson Wentz in some way. They are going to get receivers. They knew it was going to happen, and that's just one way that it did happen. So I think they kind of saved their draft on this third day, if that makes any sense. I know you're going to talk about your sleeper picks, and obviously they had a lot of them, so there's got to be guys that they're pulling out. There's one thing I didn't like, though, and I do want to sprinkle that in before we start talking about the good things because I want to get your take on it. And, you know, I, I was out of town on Saturday, so I was kind of watching the draft on the TV, but we didn't have phone service, so it was in and out of the camp. And, uh, you know, one thing I did see – was the Eagles trading a pick to their rival Dallas Cowboys who drafted what I was told 
was a day two talent on day three. They go out and get an offensive lineman, I believe, who was pretty – he was kind of sliding down there a little bit and could have been up there more. And, again, it brings me back to wonder, you know, the Cowboys able to go out and get C.D. Lamb and kind of rob the Eagles. And then, you know, you got that big hatred for that rival. That's That's your enemy. But you're going to trade with them, kind of make amends, and you know they end up with a good guy there. I wanted to hear what your thoughts were on that because you know at the end of the day, do you take those rivalries with you into something like the draft? Or are you going to just it's is it noise? Is it something that we kind of create as analysts, as fans? Is it noise because we need something else to talk about? And I want to I don't know where you stand. I think on that. you might be being a little over dramatic, but nah, in all seriousness, no. It's like I get it's a rival, but Howie Roseman. He valued volume in this draft because the last few drafts, the Eagles didn't make a lot of picks. And he was able to trade back, flip a few picks, and get the Eagles up to 10 picks. And I think, obviously, you know, the more picks you make, the more chance you have of striking gold. Also, the more chance you have of having a total flop of a draft. But, no, and I like what you said about day three. I think the Eagles kind of, you can't make up for a whole draft on the third day of the draft. But I think they had a really solid Day three, and obviously a guy I really like, Kevon Wallace from Clemson, you know, has drawn comparisons to another safety that came from Clemson named Brian Dawkins. Uh, you know, he's a good player. Jack Driscoll, solid offensive tackle from Auburn, a guy who is projected to move inside to guard eventually. Uh, obviously, talk about Sean, uh, John Hightower, Sean Bradley, you know, linebacker Temple stays close to home. Uh, got another offensive tackle from Auburn and Prince Tega. Ooh, I'll try to pronounce this. Wanago, uh, offensive tackle. <laughs> then a Casey Twohill pick. I like that one a lot. That's a you know another guy that the Eagles you know like got some linebacker depth. But look, you take ten guys in a draft. It's two trains of thought here. A, all ten guys aren't going to make the roster this year. But two, there's a better chance that guys could crack the you know the starting the start like be a starter. And I think that's a good way to look at it. I think the Eagles had a really solid draft. They stocked up on assets. They continued to get speed at receiver. I like it a lot, but obviously the thing that I, I still don't like is the Jalen Hurts pick. No matter just how much time goes by and how much we think about it, I just I just don't see any way to validate that pick. You know, I've heard plenty of rumors. Is Carson Wentz on the trade block? You know, but I think at the end of the day, here's the rationale. And I'm not saying I agree with this rationale, and here's what I think it is. The Eagles have always invested a lot into the backup quarterback position. They've always valued having a good backup quarterback, whether it was, you know, back in the day, A.G. Feely, the Detmer brothers, uh, Kevin Cobb, moving forward, Mark Sanchez, Chase Daniel, a smart veteran behind Carson Wentz, Nick Foles, we all know how that turned out. You know, they like Nate Sudfeld, but I don't think he's ready to be a backup, but they've always valued the backup quarterback position. And the Eagles are a team who have been you know, tie tightly to the cat for the last handful of years. So why go out and spend $10, $12 million to sign Jameis Winston, for example, to a one-year deal, or take on an Andy Dalton contract, or sign Joe Flacco for $8 million? We can go out and draft a quarterback in the second round who is a valuable insurance policy should Carson Wentz get hurt and only pay him, you know, half of what you would pay an actual you know, backup quarterback. Obviously, I don't love the thought process of spending a second-round pick on your backup quarterback. Rather, would have went, you know, fourth round to Jake Fromm. But the Eagles have always valued having a backup quarterback with starting experience should their quarterback get injured. 
And I think that they didn't want to wait till the fourth round to get a from who was projected to be a career-long backup. They wanted to get someone like Jalen Hurts, who, you know, is projected to possibly be an NFL starter one day. So, you know, they got a cheap backup quarterback should Carson Wentz get hurt. And look, for Eagles fans, best case scenario, Carson Wentz doesn't get hurt the next few years, maybe misses a game or two here and there. Jalen Hurts goes out there, two years, you flip him for a pick. So, I don't love the reasoning behind it, but I think that makes it make a lot more sense. Well, I think it's really funny because as a fan of a team who just had to experience a torturous year with your starting quarterback being hurt and then having backup quarterbacks that didn't really live up to the standard of what you're used to seeing on the field, you would think I would agree with you entirely and think that makes sense, but I think it's the opposite. I think if it's even possible, I hate this pick more now than I did when it happened. And it's just because I've had this time to look at it and I look at this team and I look at what they could have done there and they go with the backup quarterback and you say like you value having a backup quarterback that is a security blanket. It's there. I just, it's a different mentality, I think. And it's not a mentality that I, when I look at it, I think you got to do everything you can to put that starting team out there. And in the second round, like you said, and you're not advocating for this, but in the second round to draft Jalen Hurts, who's not going to play. And as I continue to hear their rationale for it, I continue to not like it even more because I was watching some videos today and they're talking about how Howie Roseman, the unnamed guy that he was talking about of Russell Wilson a few years back, how he loved him in that draft and he wanted to get him and he didn't. And Russell Wilson is a starting quarterback and is great. And it was like, it was like, oh, I don't want to get accused of saying any names because you know how the rules are in sports these days, but he's talking about Russell Wilson. He's talking about how much he loves him. He's like, I don't want another quarterback who I like personally that much to slip through my fingers again. And I think that that's just not really the mindset you drafted Carson Wentz after you got Russell Wilson. You, you Carson Wentz is your guy. You've even said that it's your guy. So when you look at, yeah, Jalen Hurts is sitting there. He's really talented and you can draft him with that second overall pick, but I mean, he's not going to start for you because Wentz is the starter. So I don't know why. It's the kind of thing where you're like, oh, yeah, the value was there and we had to do it. Well, there was value in other positions that could have actually achieved a goal that you had in mind. But, I mean, like I said, I really didn't like their first two days. I like Rieger, but I, I didn't like where they took him. But I think that's not going to matter down the stretch. So that is one thing that I have been able to kind of see over the last few days. I think Rieger is a good talent and that pick has grown on me, but the hurts quit. The hurt pick could not hurt me any more than it already is. Like it don't like that. But I think the haul that they brought in on that third day, I do, I do really like him on Wallace. I think that's a good pick for them. And you look at the receivers they bring in. So I think overall it's going to work out to be about an average draft. I, I remember your grade for them was what? I believe it was a C, C plus, plus yeah. or a C. Yeah, C plus. So I, I think that's about fair. I think they their draft was about average. It could have been a lot better. The real thing holding them back, in my eyes, is the Hurts pick. I didn't like it at all, and I don't really understand why they did it. And even as you kind of spin, spill that rationale out to me, yeah, I kind of see maybe that what they're looking at there, but I don't agree with it by any means. And, and We'll see. I don't know. I don't really like it. but And I know you aren't in love with it either, but you're going to learn to live with it a little quicker than I have to because that's your team, that's your guy. And, and you know, Carson Wentz's baby, 
child, a boy or girl? A uh, girl. Was that, you know, with the baby girls wearing a Jalen Hurts jersey today. You know, that's that's what she's putting on. She's not putting on the Carson Wentz. She's putting on the Jalen Hurts. So, I, I don't know. But congrats to Carson Wentz and his family giving birth to a baby girl today. That's pretty cool throughout the quarantine process. Yeah, congrats to Carson and his wife as well. And uh, I did release my top five Eagles picks along with a great uh, – that's all out on our Twitter at PSUSS show. Make sure you follow us there, like us on Facebook, and find us on Spotify. But one last point I want to make about this Jalen Hurts pick is that Preston, I agree with you. I really do. Uh, I don't like the like the rationale makes sense, but I still don't have to like it. I much rather would have signed Joe Flacco too. One year, eight million. <laughs> one year, ten million. Then. Waste a second round pick on Jalen Hurts. I much rather would have drafted, you know, for need right now and signed a backup quarterback. So, look, I agree with you. I don't love the pick. I mean, I hate the pick. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Look, <laughs> he's a great player. I think maybe his ceiling, if all things go right and he's put in the right situation, Jalen Hurts could be a Russell Wilson type quarterback. But also, you know, he's someone I could also see being, I, I, I don't know who, but, you know, you know what you get a lot of those running quarterbacks? It's a new age, though, so the running works. And I think if Hurts continues to develop as a passer, he can be pretty good. But And I just want to I want to echo on that quick, too, because I think I liked Hurts a lot when he was at Oklahoma. And I remember watching him play, especially those Baylor games, the, the big comeback that they had to beat Baylor in the one game. And you watch him kind of go on. I was rooting for Jalen Hurts. I really like what he was able to do. Now, I knew he wasn't going to go in those top few picks because it was kind of held on that monopoly of Joe Burrow and then Tua and Herbert. But I think Hurts can be successful in this league. I don't think it's going to happen in Philadelphia. That's my – you want my hot take, you want my bold prediction – that's me saying it right now. That's Carson Wentz's city, and I don't really see Hurts sitting long enough. This isn't a Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, or an Aaron Rodgers you're in love for all we know. But I, it's not that case, and I don't think he's going to blossom in Philly. So I'm really curious as to how he feels about this pick. I mean, he's not going to tell you he doesn't like it. He's going to tell you, I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to grow, and that's the right answer. But I don't think he's going to blossom in Philly. And maybe, maybe I'll be wrong, but I don't think that's where he's going to be. I don't know if they're going to trade him, if he kind of finds his own little team in free agency. Maybe you see something like a Teddy Bridgewater where, yeah, maybe Wentz gets hurt again in a year or two. Maybe it's this year. And Hurts comes in, has a stellar season. Maybe it's a Nick Foles. Nick Foles kind of fits this same theme. You go on, you win some games, and now there's a high ceiling for you. And I, I, hope, that's, I hope the best for him because I really do think he's a great player, but I just don't see him being the next quarterback in Philly. Some people jumping in the comments i'm sure they're trying to troll you because i don't know who they are but it's the oh hurts is yeah, better than uh, Carson Wentz anyway it doesn't even matter yeah there you go so don't don't agree with that but i think that uh i think he could be you mentioned russell wilson i think that's a fair comparison he can develop a little bit i just don't see it happening in Philly. i agree and i think he'll get on the field whether it be with or without carson wentz this year i think he'll you know maybe run some gadget plays and taste some hill like stuff uh, I know the Eagles signed Khalil Tate, Arizona's old quarterback. So, you know, I keep joking. They're going to run a Greg Ward, Khalil Tate, Jalen Hurts, three receiver set, <laughs> all former college quarterbacks split out at receiver. But I thought that was a, you know, I thought that was a little, 
That's like that sounds similar to what the Ravens can do with all yeah. of their Heisman winning the players back there. You know, throw throw Ingram and uh, RG three in the backfield with uh, Lamar Jackson. Exactly. But yeah, that's that's what you that's what you're gonna see. They've got a lot of QBs. That's definitely no shortage. I think there. ideally, uh, you know, Hertz is a guy. Maybe Wentz either. I don't want to. I don't want to wish injury on Wentz, but say he misses a game or two with a concussion or you know some kind of bruise or pull or strain or something like that. Hertz comes in, gets a couple starts this year, a couple starts next year. You know, lights the world on, not lights the world on fire, but plays respectable. He goes training for a second or third round pick. Or, you know, NFL ups the schedule to 17 games. You know, maybe Eagles side to rest Carson Wentz for a game, or Eagles have a clinched already. Maybe that's a little bit like a Matt Flynn situation in 2011 when Aaron Rodgers was benched last game of the year for rest. He comes in, throws five touchdowns, gets a big deal. So, look, it just takes... One injury, it takes one, you know, game where the Eagles already have the division clinched. They put Jalen Hurts in, he plays well. That could be enough for a quarterback needy team. And who knows what happens with college football this year. Maybe, you know, we don't get enough of a sample size from a Trevor Lawrence or, you know, Sean Clifford for that being said. And a team says, you know, I'd much rather take Jalen Hurts, had a year of NFL development, than take a risk on a, you know, a non-Trevor Lawrence quarterback. So we'll see. And I'm excited I'm excited to see what happens. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting without a doubt. Yeah, and two quick things. I know we're trying to move on here, but I, one, I think Trevor Lawrence's sample size is already stated. I don't know if he really. That's needs why to I added the non-Trevor that's, Lawrence. That's the, it was shot. Yeah, any there's a lot of other quarterbacks. Maybe it's Justin Fields. Who knows? There's guys that are definitely playing for their spot in the draft. I think Trevor Lawrence, if he didn't play this season, would still be drafted and still be confident in. But here's here's why I kind of thought this would be a good way to close the conversation on the backup quarterback. If there's two situations that you want to bring in to the backup quarterback conversation, it's sitting right here. It's Nick Foles and the Eagles, and that's one extreme where you lose your quarterback and that backup quarterback is talented and you go win a Super Bowl. And that's obviously that's not the normal, but that's one extreme. Then you look at the other extreme, and that's kind of what the Steelers dealt with last year. And you lose Ben Roethlisberger, who the offense is built around. And you bring in two guys. The offense is built around throwing long passes and kind of getting guys downfield. And you bring in two guys that don't really throw the long ball all that well. So it's very important in that aspect, if that starter goes down, if there's some reason why that starter's not playing, you want to have that backup be there. And I totally understand that. I just don't know if I prioritize that as a second-round need, and I know you don't either. And, you know, there's two different extremes on that backup quarterback for sure. And I think if you look at the big picture, Eagles are happy with where they're at. They think they trust Hurts back there. And he's got some he's got some room to grow. I don't know if Hurts would have been a starter this year if he had been drafted by one of those teams. It wasn't a very quarterback-needy draft anyway but probably not a guy you were going to see start this year regardless. So he could be in Philly. He could be in New England. He could be in Pittsburgh. Doesn't matter. He's going to learn. And I think you'll see in the next few years if he somehow becomes a thing in Philly or what I think is more likely is he finds himself a new home and starts to play. Absolutely. And obviously we're winding down a bit here. But there's one thing, a little bit of news that came out today that we want to talk about is we, more baseball. There's maybe a chance we're getting closer to baseball. I think it was Bob Nightingale reported today of USA Today that baseball is working on a plan where teams will remain in their home ballparks, uh, play without fans, play about 100 games. And obviously, I think that might cater a bit more to the players because 
A lot of them were skeptical of leaving their families to go stay in, whether it be Florida or Arizona, for, you know, say three, four months. Especially, I know Phillies pitcher Zach Wheeler's wife is, you know, currently pregnant. And he's like, I'm not going to miss the birth of my first kid. And I think that a lot of players feel that way. Mike Trout kind of voiced off saying he doesn't love that idea. So the MLB kind of came back, you know, have three divisions, uh, East, Central, West, Mix AL and NL together, so like the Phillies, Yankees, Mets, Red Sox, you know, Nationals, Marlins, amongst other teams would be in that East division. Yeah, I've got I've got yeah. those pulled up here, and I'm looking at those, but I'm intrigued yeah. by that East because it's very and talented, the, but I think... It, yeah, I was going to say the here. teams would, you know, obviously just play the teams in their region. Looking at about 100 games, you could start by June, but maybe ideally a July 4th start. The teams would still probably send guys down to their... Uh, spring training sites to get at least a couple weeks of action before they do come back but it's intriguing and I think it's a scenario that if they're able to work logistics out and get approval from the CDC and other local health officials I think it's one of the players would be a lot more willing to do if they can you know live at home uh, and keep it safe and stay and play in their home ballparks granted without fans well listen I think this this idea is still in the fetus stage. I, I've so read somewhere that there could be as many as 12 to 15 different scenarios that are in works. And, you know, there's so much that needs to be confirmed before they go and say, this is what we're going to do. But we talked about this a few weeks ago when they had said, let's send everyone to Arizona and we can play baseball in May. And I did not like that. I said, look, it's not going to work. It's too much of a rush start. You need to give more time. Whether it's the right decision or not, we can talk politics whenever we want. That's not for this show. It's not for this time. But I think that you look at the severity of this disease and you don't want to be that first league that comes out to play and it doesn't work out. So I like this a lot better because these guys, like you said, you're not. it's kind of tough to be expected to go live in a hotel room in Arizona and go from the hotel room to the ballpark back to the hotel room where you're quarantined for three months away from your family. Like that's, it's, Yeah, the season's long, but these guys get to be home. And you talk about a couple specific circumstances there with Zach Wheeler having a baby. And you know, obviously when the face of your league says, I don't like this, then you got to kind of bend a little bit and figure that out. So I think this is a lot more intriguing. Yes, you're waiting until July, most likely. They talk about an opening day on the 4th of July. That's kind of what I said before. I said if you can get late June, early July starts in, it's a lot safer, I think. You have a lot more research done by then. Maybe testing's more available by then. And that's what it all comes down to, it seems like. No matter what you read, they're not going to do anything unless testing's available to the public and it's out there and it's done. And that's not the case quite yet. So makes sense that they're probably not playing here in May, but... I mean, you look at some of these divisions, and yes, you get to play some games at your home stadiums, and they said there's probably not fans, but there's the potential of a couple thousand fans allowed by maybe the end of the season right before a playoff, which would be an expanded, unique playoff because there's no more National League, American League, so very different stuff. But here's, here's what I'm looking at, and I think it'll get a little fun banter here. But I'm looking at a Pirates-Phillies in the same division kind of deal where you're playing each other. You're only playing the other nine teams in your division. They build it around that geographical location to try to limit traveling as much as possible. And when I was watching uh, Michael Kay and some of those guys talk about it, some of those Yankees guys, and they say, you know, obviously Yankees and Mets, you can drive to those games. Then you got Red Sox, Nationals, Orioles, Phillies. Those are all games that you can either drive to or you can train to in that division. And then 
Pirates, Blue Jays, and the two Florida teams are probably a charter flight. But you look at what they're trying to do here. You're limiting the travel, but you're still giving teams that chance to be at home and play home games. And is it going to get sick of the same nine teams that you play for the whole year? I don't think anyone cares at this point about who you're playing. I think they want to play. And if the league can find some way to scrap a season, I think they're going to try and do it. And this is a lot more put together, well thought out scenario, I think, than the first one they were kind of trying to run with. And I think you could really see this take off if it gets the approval of the CDC. And that's what they're really going to focus on, try to go health first. And if that gets approved and they can move forward, I think this is something that could work. And I I do like this a little bit more. It's intriguing because I'm a Yankees fan and a Pirates fan built into one. And now all of a sudden they're in the same division. So I'm going to maybe I just have to pick one and stick with them for the whole like season. Most of us so, do for our entire lives. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's what most people are used to. I'm sorry that I, you know pick and choose both sides i enjoy my hometown pirates and i'll never lose them and I'll always root for them but it's okay to appreciate winning every now and then and that's where the yankees kind of come in and you go jeter's sitting right here on a poster right behind her you can't see that but i can so a lot of a lot of character there a lot of int- intriguing stuff by it i think and you look at you know th- this is a league that you're trying to get sports back and the nba is talking about doing stuff and the nhl and people are talking in the complete flip side direction of will college football happen in the fall and will that kind of stuff happen in the fall. If they can play any kind of MLB baseball season from July forward, I think they got to do it. And you want to find that healthy balance between the GMs and making some revenue back and playing games and those players who don't want to be locked in their jail cell in a hotel room in Arizona just to play. Some of those guys aren't going to do that. And you don't want to send teams down there with only – 75% of their guys because Mike Trout decides he doesn't want to go. Well, that's obviously a big impact on the game, and you want to try to find that healthy balance between both, I think. I agree, and I think the whole, they can find a way to play at home and do it safely. It's hard to see any opposition to this, and that's that's going to be the key. And I think uh, between now and when we do our show next week, I think we'll learn a lot because it's a very – very fluid situation. Obviously, NBA facilities leaning to open up on May 8th. You know, NHL and NBA people, there's still a belief that, you know, they'll finish the season. And they've said they have no issue pushing the start of next season back to as late as Christmas if it means finishing this season and crowning a champion. I think they'd much rather, you know, maybe only play a 50-60 game season next year, have a champion this year, than just say, okay, we're cutting this season here. We'll start back up in October. So I think it's it's very fluid. You know, a lot's changed in the last, hell, the last day. A lot's changed compared to the last, you know, month and a half. It's, man, it's almost May. Whoever would have thought thought that last week. A classes, finals next week. Uh, but we'll see. It's going to be interesting. And I'm just, I don't want to say I'm excited to see, but I'm very intrigued to see, you know, what happens. Because, look, it's unprecedented. We've never had something like this before. And, you know, there's, there's no, there's nothing in the book that says how to deal with, you know, bringing sports back in a pandemic. But I can tell you, a lot of people want sports back, and if they can find a way to do it safely, emphasis on that, then I think that, you know, they'll do it. And obviously, I don't want to start spewing predictions, but I do think by, by, you know, middle of June, there's a chance that we could start to see some, uh, some action back on the sports field. Yeah, it could be that spring training games as they get ready for a regular season that might start beginning of July. I mean, who knows? But I think 
very different situations. You got the NBA whose season's almost done and the MLB who hasn't even started a season yet. And, you know, each league with the most respect that they can in looking at how the other leagues are doing it, almost have to make their own decision. And it's really tough to kind of compare what the NBA is trying to do to what the MLB is trying to do because there's very different amounts of work there. The MLB hasn't even played a game yet. So I think if they can get this scenario to work, you get games in your home ballpark, you get players who can be at home part-time. That was the big thing for me that I didn't like about the other one. The other one was playing in May might not be feasible. And with this one pushing late June, July, I think it's a lot better. End of the day, you got to get the safest, but also well-balanced decision because if, if you could you could argue that the safest thing to do is to not play sports again until 2023 and that's not really well balanced when you look at the whole scenario and you look at the economy side of it and you look at these players that want to get back out there and people who could really benefit emotionally from having something like sports to be back together and I think as the world tries to go back to what we used to know is normal you're going to see some of these leagues kind of eventually settling in and each league's going to take their own roadmap to get there but i think if you look at what they're talking about with baseball here this is a lot better than what we were talking about a couple weeks back absolutely and i agree and as i said we'll uh, we'll hit more on it next week uh big thank you to everybody who you know tuned in today whether it be on the instagram live whether you found us on spotify for our podcast uh, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at PSUSS Show. Uh, find us on Facebook at the SNS Show. Like us there. Uh, you know, hopefully got some uh, got some big things coming your way. Looking to you know pull some special guests uh, over the next few weeks. Obviously, you know, still got a lot to talk about. Got NFL draft, got baseball season. So there's stuff to talk about, and we'll be sure to talk about it. But big thank you once again, to everybody who tuned in today. We'll see you back here next week on the SNS Show. Hope everyone has a great night. Hope everyone has a great rest of their week.